This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, August 3rd. I'm Matt Hoysh. And I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, COVID cases decline, but monkeypox spreads statewide. Town Council looks to study the impact of short-term rentals. Telluride takes stock of 2022 accomplishments. And a mountain weather forecast. But first, San Miguel County Sheriff deputies arrested a 63-year-old Egner man on Tuesday after he allegedly fired a rifle at a young person in a, quote, unprovoked incident. He is charged with menacing with a deadly weapon. According to the San Miguel County Sheriff's Office, the teenager had an appointment to look at the man's mobile home for sale when the man allegedly took out a rifle, threatened the young person, and shot at him as the boy fled. The man was taken to San Miguel County Jail. Reported cases of COVID-19 in San Miguel County have been going down. This week, County Public Health Director Grace Franklin briefed the Board of County Commissioners. She explains there are 15 reported active cases as of last Friday. Which is quite a significant decrease from the last update where we were hovering around 30 active cases. Though Franklin stresses, those are reported cases. Wastewater treatment data, she explains, tells a bit of a different story. Those numbers, she says, remain fairly elevated, though they have plateaued. The reporting doesn't do the actual disease burden justice overall. All of this takes place as the more transmissible BA4 and BA5 subvariants are the main forms of COVID in the county. We've continued to see BA5 just continue to be the dominant strain um, of COVID. And so it's just a more transmissible virus um, or subvariant. Um, and has more immune escape to people who have been recently infected with other subvariants or vaccinated. Still, barring any new variants taking off, Franklin says state models anticipate a decline in cases and hospitalizations over the next two months. Cases have also declined across the state over the last few weeks to a seven-day moving average of about 1,400 from a peak of roughly 2,400 in early June. With the new school year just around the corner, Franklin also says the state is finalizing COVID guidance for this academic year. Guidelines, she says, have been simplified with more of a focus on treating COVID like other communicable diseases. And really focusing on the tenets of staying home when sick, testing when symptomatic, and then monitoring for increased outbreaks, illness, absenteeism, um, just to make sure um, people are aware of what's going on in their classrooms so they can make decisions um, for the best for their families. Some key strategies in that state guidance, Franklin explains, include short-term masking after a classroom outbreak, using outdoor spaces, and a big one, she says, is increasing ventilation indoors. We're continuing to see with HEPA filters, um, windows being opened, or um, improved HVAC systems, um, it really makes a huge difference to stemming uh, respiratory um, illness. Franklin also updated the BOCC on monkeypox. The virus, she explains, causes lesions and rashes, with symptoms appearing up to three weeks after exposure. It um, really spreads from that skin-to-skin contact or um, clothing or um, other um, soft materials um, that are in, um, have the virus on them. Since late June, Franklin notes, cases have increased across the state and nation. Cases have really exponentially grown Um, over a very short amount of time. As of August 2nd, she says there are 71 cases among Colorado residents, 
most of them among males in the Denver metro area. Statewide, there have been three hospitalizations and no deaths. Last month, two visitors in San Miguel County tested positive for monkeypox, but since then, Franklin says, there have been no new cases locally. Though there is a vaccine, she adds, supply remains limited. So... It is only available for those with high um, exposures um, to a known case. Franklin says the spread of monkeypox is an evolving situation that local officials are trying to address as best as possible. Short-term rentals were the center of discussion during the 2021 election. And now, nearly a year later, the town of Telluride is looking to study the impact those rentals have on the community. On August 24, 2021, town council imposed the suspension of the issuance of new STR licenses to take a pause to better understand impacts of STRs. That's Ashley Beard, business license administrator for Telluride, presenting at town council this week. One question from council was how many individuals have been granted more than one STR license in the town. Beard notes the town implemented an ownership disclosure to determine who owned what. Based on the data, nearly 700 individuals own one short-term rental license, just over 60 own two, roughly 10 own three or four, two own five to 10 licenses, and two own 11 or more. Barrett adds, with the passing of ballot measure 2D, there is a cap on short-term rental licenses to those in existence on November 2nd, 2021. Staff has determined this number to be 758. With the passing of 2D, Council also approved a one-time exception for the clerks to issue a new STR license to a subsequent purchaser of a dwelling with an existing and fully issued business license. To date, there have been 56 one-time exceptions granted. There is also an exemption to the cap for those who have a short-term rental as part of their primary residence and those who own a unit that is unable to be rented long-term. But what is the aim of pausing the number of short-term rentals? The purpose of 2D, the, the way in which I heard it sold again and again, uh, was that this should be a pause and assess uh, for short-term rentals. We paused. We haven't done much assessing. Council member Dan Enright. Thanks to the clerk's department for starting this assessment project process. I think we've got a lot of good information here, but I think that there is some unanswered questions. When it comes to that assessment, Mayor Delaney Young suggests potentially partnering with the Colorado Association of Ski Towns, or CAST. There is appetite to do a larger collective um, study, if you will, or assessment. And some of us think that we will get more bang for our buck, so to speak, if we can do it collectively. It will also some of us think, help alleviate the divisiveness in our own individual communities if it is a collective assessment, because sometimes we and others hear, well, you're just doing this in a biased fashion, or you are only collecting information that is going to service your argument. Council is supportive of working with CAS to collect data, but council member Jesse Ray Arguez adds she wants to keep the idea of short-term rentals and affordable housing separate. Yes, there's an affordable housing component attached to it, but like short-term rentals and affordable housing, those two initiatives I think should be, until we have this impact study, treated as two separate things. Because we've heard from the public that have short-term rentals that they will simply not put them back into the long-term rental pool. So like right now, I think it's important that we 
keep those two subjects separate. Young agrees. Everyone thinks it's STRs and affordable housing, which became really the dividing point on this topic in our community. This in large part has to do with just the impacts otherwise on the community. Councilmember Mian Fee wants to ensure the study also takes into account the potential positive benefits of short-term rentals in the community. We need to really have a full comprehensive picture of short-term rentals. We can't, I, I understand it, but I, I feel like we tend to focus on the negatives that are coming out of the utilization of short-term rentals. And there's a significant amount of um carrying that they do for the economy as well. And I just want to make sure that we've got all of that information to be able to make a fully informed decision as opposed to just having data points on the things that we feel may be a negative impact. But Councilmember Adrian Christie still has concerns about the number of individuals in the community who profit off multiple short-term rentals in Telluride. There are people here who are utilizing STRs as an investment source and they're monetizing housing in our in our community. And that is what this data shows. I still think we need to consider those 11, 15, depending on what threshold you want to talk about, people who are just making a lot of money and reducing the number of housing units in our community and monetizing housing through STRs. Councilmember Geneva Shawnette adds her concern when it comes to homes operating as businesses. These are um, businesses being run on properties that are taxed as residential properties. And that, for me, is where the big disconnect is, is when the, you're making a lot of revenue off of something and not paying the taxes to utilize it in that way. So for me, that, you know, whether or not we can argue to we're blue in the face about whether housing stock is coming out or not for STRs, but this seems like a, a bit of a loophole um, when you're using a business as an investment property as a business that is zoned to be a home. And that's where the disconnect is for me. Town Council decided to move forward with a collaborative process to study short-term rentals with the Colorado Association of Ski Towns with additional Telluride-specific data. If CAST decides against a collective study, the town of Telluride plans to conduct a local study on its own. What has Telluride's town government been up to all year? From this week's town council meeting, it seems like quite a bit. With an update on how Telluride's 2022 goals and objectives are unfolding, we go to KOTO's Gavin McGough. It was only April when Scott Robson began work as Telluride's town manager, but he's quickly gotten a handle on Telluride's diverse projects. At this week's town council meeting, Robson presented an update on how the government is doing with its goals for the 2022 fiscal year. Some of the most tangible accomplishments, as well as the areas of greatest need in development, are in the realm of affordable housing. Robson highlighted the soon-to-be-finished Sunnyside development. Back in 21, when uh, you all adopted these, Sunnyside housing uh, was right there at the top of our goals and objectives uh, as far as affordable housing goes. And uh, we're really proud of how we've gotten through uh, that lottery process, uh, seen that vertical construction move, move along really well this year, frankly. We've got water, uh, we've got electricity out there, and we will have uh, residents moving in in the next uh, two weeks here. Town is already looking ahead to a handful of other affordable housing projects. Shandoka Phase 3 is one of the most major projects on the horizon, and will consider how to maximize housing and parking options within the existing area. 
Robson stresses that the next phase of Shandoka planning is still in its early phases. For uh, Shandoka phase three, uh, we're not picking out uh, carpets and paint chips on this one. We're, we're very much looking at large scale ideas out there, uh, more or less. Robson also says the town has purchased roughly 100 acres north of the Telluride airport. This will become an area of focus and planning in the next months. The county and the town did work hard to uh, close on that Diamond Ridge property, which we did uh, a few weeks back here. Uh, there is certainly not a, a defined plan out there, and that's by, that's by design. Nevertheless, one priority for the new land remained clear, Robson says. An exceptional opportunity out there um, to uh, really develop world-class affordable housing uh, for this community. Affordable housing is just one part of town government's focus on community preservation. Other aspects of community preservation involve wildlife conservation and updating construction and zoning policies in town. On this front, Robson says that progress is happening, even when it happens in baby steps. We've had a lot of conversation lately on addressing construction impacts on the community. You know, I think that's one of those initiatives that is just ongoing. We kind of learn how each one goes, how each little policy step changed things for the better, hopefully, and uh, amend as we go. Regarding diversity and equity initiatives in the Telluride community, Robson reports less tangible progress, but has an eye to the coming year. And we'd like to, to really see that a paid parental and extended leave program adopted in the 2023 uh, budget that really supports our uh, employee base on, on that front, uh, um, complying with um, ADA requirements, uh, not just in town facilities, but across our infrastructure, uh, I think is an area that we can uh, do better on. And it's it, there's no doubt it, it's challenging from time to time um, to, to find a depth in our um, application pool uh, on, on uh, diversity front, but I've actually been um, pleasantly surprised with who we've been getting in the door. Other accomplishments Robson reports are an improving COVID-19 outlook in the region, work with the Tourism Board to support sustainable visitation numbers, and expansions made to town's wastewater system. It has also adopted a climate action plan and looks to move towards implementation. One last exciting project from 2022 so far, it's down at Town Park. Really thrilled to see that um, new Town Park skate park open a month or six weeks ago now at this point. Um, Just really amazing feedback from the community and kids in particular on, on the quality of that skate park. This Saturday, uh, just a reminder that we will have a a kind of a celebration of opening out there at the skate park. That celebration happens at 11 a.m. Robson also encouraged the public to look out for the opening of the Engage Telluride platform, a new website to connect the public with town government activities. Again, our Engage Telluride platform that is really going to, I think, up our game in regards to just uh, transparency on the big initiatives we're working on and ways for the public to to engage. With the 2023 budgeting season just around the corner, town will be looking to finish up its goals for this fiscal year before it turns to planning new projects and funding in the year ahead. For KOTO, this is Gavin McGough. We live in one of the most beautiful places on the planet. 
and Mountain Village wants to keep it that way. This weekend, Mountain Village is hosting a community cleanup day to help protect the environment. The day will feature the cleanup itself from 10 a.m. to noon, followed by an after party with ice cream, yard games, and more. Volunteers can register for the cleanup from 9 to 10 a.m. at Heritage Plaza. They will receive trash, recycling, and composting bags and a designated area to clean. There will be coffee and donuts. Volunteers are encouraged to bring their own gloves, wear long pants, and comfortable shoes. The Mountain Village Community Cleanup Day will take place Saturday, August 6th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. The grass is still green, the days are long, but some are already turning their sights to snow. The town of Telluride is accepting applications for its winter vending carts. Each winter, a number of food vendors dot Main Street, sharing their delicious recipes with the community. Winter vending runs from October 15th through May 14th, with locations at Oak Street, Elks Park, and the Gondola Plaza. New this winter is a vending location at South Spruce Park and the corner of Fur and Pacific. In order to apply, vendors must fill out an application, including a diagram of the vending cart and menu of proposed products, foods, and services. Vending applications are available at telluride-co.gov. Applications are due by August 15th. Applications are now open for the Lone Cone Legacy Trust's annual grants. This year, the trust is giving out a record $12,000 to support community organizations in Norwood and the greater Wrights Mesa area. Grants are available for up to $2,500 for local development projects for local taxing entities or community organizations working as 501c3 nonprofits that aim to benefit the area and its residents. Applications are open through September 1st. More information is available at LoneConeLegacy.org. Secretary of State Jenna Griswold says recounts requested by election deniers in two primary races will be done by Thursday. As KOTO Scott Franz reports, the early results are verifying Tina Peters' overwhelming loss in the Secretary of State race. The Republican Party in Denver County says the recount there resulted in Peters picking up zero votes and her top opponent picking up four. Peters lost her primary race to former Jefferson County Clerk Pam Anderson by more than 80,000 votes. Peters is raising unfounded allegations of voter fraud and is paying more than $200,000 for the recount. Secretary of State Jenna Griswold says 15 of the state's 64 counties have completed their recounts. She says when it is complete, the losers should, quote, accept the outcome of a free, fair, and secure election. I'm Scott Franz at the state capitol. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for partly cloudy skies tonight with a 40% chance of showers and thunderstorms. The low is around 55 degrees. Thursday, expect showers and thunderstorms with a high near 75 degrees and a low around 55. Friday should see showers and thunderstorms with a high around 70 degrees. Friday night calls for showers and thunderstorms with a low in the mid-50s. This has been the news for Wednesday, August 3rd. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Hey, everybody. This is David Nepsky from the town of Telluride. I'm their public information officer, and I have a friendly 
public service announcement from our finance department, utility billing. The town of Telluride is located in a national forest. The community cohabitates with wildlife daily, especially bears. Therefore, we need to be aware as a community of specific regional behaviors regarding bears that affect our equilibrium. Most conflicts between people and bears can be traced to easily accessible human food, pet food, garbage, bird feeders, and other attractants. A bear's natural instinct to find food will overpower their wariness of humans. Thus, properly disposing of garbage and correctly securing your polycarts is essential. Please contact Ashley Samuelson, our utility billing contact, at 970-728-2162 if your current polycart is broken, damaged, or malfunctioning. Only contact Ashley if your trash and recycling is managed through the town of Telluride. Please reach out to her with any utility questions or concerns, and remember to be bear aware. Thank you. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you'd like to comment, please contact staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.